Hi, nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Have you ever done one of these interviews over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job. It's sort of probably the most important job. Uh, the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations, but it's really kind of so much more than that. Responsibilities and requirements are, are really quite extensive. Uh, first category for the requirements would be mobility. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. Uh, uh, okay. That's a lot. For how many, like, for how many hours? Uh, 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm sure you'll have a chance from time to time to maybe just sit down here and there, yeah? Uh, you mean like a break? Yeah. Uh, no, there are no breaks available. Is, is that even legal? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. so like no lunch? You can or... have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Uh... I think that's a little intense. No. no not possible. That's crazy. Now, this position requires excellent negotiation and interpersonal skills. We're really looking for someone that might have a degree in uh, medicine, in finance, and the culinary arts. You must be able to wear several hats. Associate needs constant attention. Sometimes they have to stay up with an associate throughout the night. Being able to work in a chaotic environment, if you, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. In fact, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is going to go up, and we demand that with, with a happy disposition. Uh, that's almost cruel. <laughs> that's almost uh, a very, very sick, twisted joke. Worry about when there's time to sleep or... Oh, no time to sleep. Yeah, all-encompassing, all almost. That's exactly right. 365 days a year? Yes. No, that's, that's inhumane. That's, that's very insane. The meaningful connections that you make and the, the feeling that you get from really helping your associate are immeasurable. Also, let's cover the salary. The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Excuse me? No. Nobody's doing that for free. Yeah, pro bono. <laughs> Completely for free. <laughs> no! What if I told you there's someone that actually currently uh, holds this position right now? Billions of people, actually. Who? Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh! And they meet every requirement, don't wow. they? Oh my God. Moms are the best. Yeah, there's no pay. They're 24 hours. They're always there. Now I'm thinking about my mom. Yeah, and what are you thinking about her? I'm thinking about all those nights and everything. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know it doesn't seem like I appreciate all of it, but I definitely do. So, Mom, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done. I love you very much. You've been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's awesome. You might have noticed back in March, the uh, college sports world was, was shaken when a ruling was handed down that allowed the Northwestern University football players to unionize. Did you see that? So now college football players can go on strike. 
And it did get me uh, wondering what it would be like if, um, if moms decided to unionize. Uh, collective bargaining and reasonable work hours and fair pay and time off. Kids, you would be in trouble. And dads, you'd be screwed. <laughs> Am I right? Um, a month from today, uh, Cooper will be done with high school. And uh, he will be heading off to Camp Spaulding and then uh, in, on to Whitworth next fall. And uh, Cindy's job description is going to change radically. And as I think back over the 21 years of our child rearing, and as I think back to all that my mom did for me when I was growing up, I have to say in all honesty, absolute sincerity... I don't think there's a harder job in the world than being a mom. And I thank God for great moms who keep crazy hours with no pay and sleepless nights and little recognition and stretch marks as their badge of honor. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. We salute you, all of you. It's hard work being a mom, and that's what we're talking about. We're in a sermon series on the topic of work. Uh, as I told you last week, 57% of our hours during our working years are devoted to our job. 57%. That is a huge chunk of our life. And so we're asking, how can we spend that part of our life in a way that brings honor to God and life to us? So what is our understanding of work? And our starting point last week was simply this. We're going to ask the question, what does God think about work? And we discover pretty quickly what God thinks about work in the earliest pages of Scripture, don't we? For when we turn to the earliest pages of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we make a remarkable discovery. We have a working God, don't we? We have a blue-collar God, a God who creates the entire cosmos, a God who plants a garden, a God who gets His hands dirty, forming a human being out of, with His hands. The gods of the other world religions considered work demeaning, but not the God of Abraham, nor the God of Moses. Yahweh delighted in labor, and when he was done and took a look at all that he had done, he pronounced his judgment on it, which was what? That is very good. That is very good. Patted himself on his holy back and said, nice job, God. Yay, us. Last week... uh, Last week, I helped a friend, uh, last Monday, uh, lay some flooring. And uh, when we stood up at the end of the... How many have laid flooring? It works parts of your body you didn't even know you possessed. Am I right? You know, I, we stood up at the end of that time, and my knees hurt, and my back hurt a little bit. We looked back, surveyed that work, and guess what I said? Behold, it is very good. I learned that from God. I learned that from God. So when we talk about work, that's our starting point. Our God, the God of the universe, is a blue-collar God. Have you ever thought of Him that way? Our God loves work. But you might say, so what? I mean, that's fine for Him, but that isn't the story of our work. Our work is different, isn't it? And listen to these scathing words, as a matter of fact, as we find them in Genesis chapter 3. These are words that God speaks to Adam after they have eaten the forbidden fruit. Listen up. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you, 
will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Thorns and thistles and sweat and painful toil. That sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? Work is a part of the curse. Everything was fine in paradise until Adam and Eve disobeyed God. For them, everything was was wonderful till that moment. But after the fall, part of their punishment was they had to work. And they have passed that curse on to us. Work is our curse for being sinful human beings. Is that right? Sixty years ago, Tennessee Ernie Ford made famous a song about a coal miner who lives out his miserable life. You remember that song? You load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Very good. (laughs) I wonder how that'll go over second service. I'm going to take a run at it, but it might be a solo. (laughs) A lot of people view work this way, though, don't they? And perhaps you're one of them. Your job is a curse. It is a necessary evil. You owe your soul to the company store. You get one day older, and you get deeper in debt, and you're just trying to claw out a living. It's miserable, but you're you're doing what you got to do. You got to put beans on the table. It's just part of the curse of human existence. Is that what the Bible teaches? Well, no, actually, it is not what the Bible teaches. Not at all what the Bible teaches. So would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, and I'll teach you what the Bible teaches. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 4. This is where we left off last week. We're going to drop down a few times, so just be fast on your feet. Genesis chapter 2, beginning verse 4. Here we go. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Jump ahead to verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Drop down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, would you speak to us this day about this important part of our life? God, would you break down this sacred secular divide? May we understand more and more how this work is a blessing from you and how it is an opportunity for us to give worship to you because we are created in your image. Teach us that today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You saw it, right? Verse 15, where is the word? Work. This is before the fall. This is while everything is hunky-dory. This is before Adam and Eve blow it and get kicked out of the garden. Everything is perfect right now. This is a newly created world, a newly created man, a newly planted garden filled with trees that are lovely to look at and scrumptious to eat from. This is paradise. 
And it is into this paradise that God places this new man with an assignment. What is his assignment? It is to work. His job is to work and to take care of this garden. And so we discover in chapter 2 of Genesis, the very earliest moments of, creation, of the story of creation, work wasn't punishment after, heart, after, the, after the fall. Work was part of paradise. Work is part of God's perfect, blessed creation. If you don't understand that, you don't understand God's plan for work. And why should this surprise us? We are already, we've already discovered that we have a, a God who is a working God. And if it's good for God to work, surely it must be good for God's creation to work. Especially when you read this in chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, what? In our own image, in our likeness. Let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. Now, this is a unique part of the creation account. Nothing else is said to be created in the image of God. Only man is crafted by God's hands. Only man is enlivened by the breathing of his Holy Spirit into him. And only man is created, male and female, in the image of God. Imago Dei. What does this mean that we are created in the image of God? Boy, you ought to hold on to this because this is a precious, precious revelation. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Actually, it's a huge topic. It's filled countless, countless volumes. You're going to hear more about it in the weeks to come. But here's one thing at least that it means. If we are created in the image of God, a working God, what does that mean we are going to do? We're going to work and we are going to be blessed by work. We were introduced to this hard-working God who created the cosmos, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He delighted in creating. He delighted in arranging and organizing the materials of his creation. And when he created man, the first thing he did was put him in this beautiful garden. And he didn't put him there to lounge or to eat bonbons. He didn't put him there to watch on the big screen, the battle, the fight between the, the serpents and the angels. This wasn't a big man cave for him. He put him there to work. Because the being created in the image of our working God is also called to be a worker. You were called to be a worker. Work is a blessed part of paradise. It is not the fall. Work was intended by God to delight us and define us and fulfill us. Work can be holy because when we work, we are living into the image of our working God. And work gives us life. Now, why is that so? Because, at least one reason, why is work important? Because when we discover how God has created us, when he, we discover the gifts and the passions and the impulses that God has placed within us, the way we are wired, the way he made us to tick, when we have discovered that and then we labor in that area, behold, it is what? It is good. It is very good. It gives us a sense of purpose and worth and value. Now, there are limits, of course. Regrettably, we have plenty of stories of workaholic dads who ignore their wives, right, and neglect their children because they're so wrapped up in their work. But it is not too much to say that work was intended by God to be a blessing in our life. And it is one of the most significant ways that He shapes us into the person He wants us to be, uses us to serve the world that He created and loves, and makes our life meaningful and fulfilling. That's what work was supposed to be about. Not just slapping a paycheck on the table. 
That's what work was intended for. And our work, done right, by the way, is also one of the most important ways that we worship God. Have you ever thought of work as worship? Have you ever thought that, not just the one hour here on Sunday mornings, you know, our one hour nod to God in the week? No, no, no. Did you understand that 40, the 50, the 60 hours a week that you give to work, that is also an opportunity for you to worship the God who created you in His image. And in in the case of a mom, the other 167 hours of your week, you have a chance to work in the image of God. If this is true, if work really is a part of the blessedness of creation and not a punishment or a, a necessary evil, then it explains a lot that sometimes we can't put our finger on. It explains, for instance, the pain of unemployment, doesn't it? It explains the pain of unemployment. And for men, this particularly strikes at a deep place in our identity, doesn't it, men? Because our work is a lot of our identity, of who we are. Sometimes good, sometimes not good, but it is a reality. I have a a friend who's been looking for work for more than a year. And he tells me it makes him feel bitter and frustrated and worthless. Those are his words. He has watched everything he had tried to build up in his life begin to crumble away. He's selling off his possessions. He has already spent down his retirement, spent down his savings. He's received countless rejection letters. Have you ever been there? Some of you have been. Some of you are there right now. Last Friday, he wept with me as he talked about his sense of failure and shame. He was himself homeless three times as a child. He remembers sleeping on a cot in a motorcycle shop for one year with his family. And so now his greatest terror, he says he, he is terrified that he's leading his own family back into homelessness and destitution, which he so longed to escape. Can you hear in that story that this is not just about a man trying to draw a paycheck? This is at a much deeper issue of worth and of value and of purpose. Do you understand that? Our need for work also explains how empty the life of leisure can be. And I suspect this is a, this is a lesson that this group particularly needs to hear this morning. I was talking to a man this week, a man in our ch- a company. He switched uh, in our church. He switched companies a year ago. Part of, the, part of the contract was a non-compete for him for a year. They were paying him. But he had a non-compete clause, which meant that he got to sit home and he was paid to do nothing for a year. And it sounds like a dream, right? He said it nearly drove him crazy. And more to the point, it nearly drove his wife crazy. (laughs) Am I right, ladies? Yeah. And he said to finally be back at work and productive again has been such a blessing. He wants to work. This, this, this whole idea flies in the face of our retirement myth. You put in 45 hard years and then you finally get to retire to your life of ease. And it turns out to be empty if that's all it, it is about. One person told me this week, my grandpa withered up when he retired. And I talked to another, another newly retired man who is now working harder than ever. And his task, he wants to grow a, a, and form a family foundation. And it's not for himself. He's got all the money he needs. He said, I want my legacy to be that I gave a bunch of money away to worthy causes. 
And by the way, I'm pleased to say that Chapel Hill is one of those worthy causes. He wants to give him lots of money to. Awesome. I said to him then, so you figured out how a life of, 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 of golf and travel is not entirely fulfilling. He says, you know, I have a ton of friends who live just that way. They've retired to that kind of life. And he said they are miserable. Yes, yesterday I was talking to another newly retired friend of mine. He said, I don't even call it retirement. I call it a new chapter in my life because I'm working harder than I ever have before. More purposely on the things that are, I'm passionate about it. I'm having a ball. Why is that so? Why is retirement a myth? Because we were created to work. By the way, do you know the only profession in the Bible that is allowed to retire? The priest. Did I pick the right profession? <laughs> Number seven. Go read it. Number seven. The rest of you got to work until you die. <laughs> work matters. It fulfills us. It inspires us. It makes us feel productive and worthwhile. It delights us. Now, not always, of course. I look out here and I see faces. And I know the stories of some of your work. Every job has problems and frustrations and crazy bosses, right? But on the whole, when you look at the long trajectory of your work life, God intends that you should be able to look at what you are doing and what you have done and what you expect to do and say what? That is good. That is very good. That is what you should be able to say. What if you can't? What if you don't think your work is good? Again, we're going to dive into this in the coming weeks. We're going to take our time on this because this matters deeply. But I want to share with you a few ideas. If on the whole you do not find your work life-giving, then a change is in order. A change maybe in, in one of four different areas. Maybe it's a change of rhythm. Maybe it's a change of lifestyle. Maybe it's a change of job. Or maybe it's a change of attitude. Change of rhythm. Maybe this is what's called for. If your work is not life-giving on the whole, you may need to change your rhythm. What is the ratio of work to rest in the Bible? Six to one, right? Six days you shall work. On the seventh day you shall rest. God worked six days and then he rested from his work. Is it because the Holy God was exhausted at the end of his labors? No, he was not tired. It was means that he wanted to sit back and w- enjoy the pleasure of what he had done. He wanted to pause. And he also wanted to model for his human creation that does get weary what the rhythm of a healthy life looks like. We can work hard for six days. But if we do not take a Sabbath, if we do not take a break from our work, it will wear us down and affect our relationship with God and with our family and with others and with ourselves. frankly. It has been said that you can do seven days work in six days, but you cannot do seven days work in seven days. You get that? You can work hard cramming in there in six days and get more than six days work done. You cannot sustain seven days unending work. If you do not have a six-one rhythm to your life, it will destroy you, not delight you. So change your rhythm. Maybe you need to change your lifestyle. This one's going to cut close to some bone. If you have a house that is too much for you, two car loans, student debt, 
If you are swimming in a pool of credit card debt and working just to stay ahead of the next minimum payment, that is going to kill your soul. And if you're working a job you don't even like just for the paycheck so you can survive one more month, change your lifestyle. Horrifying, I know, especially in Gig Harbor where everyone is looking at where you live and what kind of a car you drive and what kind of car your teenager drives. Right? But here's a radical idea. Live more modestly. Sell your big stinking house and buy a smaller house. Drive a used car. Get out of debt. Save a little money. And if you don't know how, next time we offer Financial Peace University, take the stinking class. It might change your life. So maybe you need a change of rhythm. Maybe you need a change of lifestyle. Maybe you need a change of job. I have a friend who just recently left a well-paying job that, well, that bored him to tears to take a job that fills him up even though it pays him $20,000 less a year. It was worth it to him to do something he felt passionate about. If you're not working a job that allows you to develop and grow and enjoy the passions and the gifts that God has placed in you, in the end, it won't matter how much money you make. You're going to be miserable. And if that's you, then stop whining about it. Do something about it. Maybe you need to have the courage to get some training. Maybe you need to brush up your resume. Maybe you need to get out there, start networking, take a cut in salary, go to night school. Do something to make the change because I guarantee you, Five years from now, you're still going to be in that dead-end job that you hate if you don't do something about it. Maybe you need a change of job. Or maybe, brothers and sisters, you need a change in your attitude. How many of you read my daughter Rachel's musings this week on the e-bulletin? It was better than the average writer. Yeah. She was far better than the guy who normally writes that article. It was entitled, I would urge you to go online and read it. It is really a good piece of work, if I do say so myself. And she entitled it, Life Lessons from the Bar Cart. And in it, she speaks about what she has learned, this newly minted theology graduate from Whitworth, working as the only white collar among a group of blue collar workers at the local country club. She waits on tables and she drives a bar cart around the golf course. And it turns out she's learned a lot, actually, including the importance of attitude. One young woman that she works with, a supervisor, is a gal named Sarah, she's 27-year-old, tattooed, PG-13 language, chain-smoking, single mom since she was 14. And she's one of Rachel's favorites. Rachel overheard a dishwasher asking Sarah how her day was going. And she responded, every day is what you make of it. I never have a bad day because I always choose to make it a good one. Sarah is not a Christian. And yet she has chosen an attitude that frankly puts some of us whiny believers to shame. If every day you go into the office and you're complaining to yourself and others about your work, what do you expect that is going to do to your heart? What if instead you were to ask the Lord to give you a new heart for your workplace? Every day ask Him that. To give you love for your fellow workers. To give you empathy for that grouchy boss. To give you a passion to perform your duties with excellence as if you were doing it for the Lord. Because, in fact, you are. Your work is worship. You were created to work. 
You were created to work. Just imagine, when you work well, you are exhibiting the image of Almighty God. And like everything else that we talk about on a Sunday morning, you cannot possibly do this on your own, in your own strength. You can't do it. It, like everything else we talk about, this is a work of the Spirit in our heart. To change our hearts, to, to make us more empathetic, to make us want to work harder at a job that seems laborious or beneath us. All of those things require it. And so tonight, today I thought we'd start doing what we're going to do for the rest of this sermon series. I want, to, I want to pray for those who are going to be going in tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and doing something. What it is that they're about. And today I want to start with moms. Okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you, if part of your work this week, moms, will be caring for your children, getting them up out of bed, packing their lunches, shuttling them hither and thither, if that's your work this week, raise your hand. Okay. If part of your work week, grandmas, is doing that same thing for your grandchildren, because there's more and more grandchildren, grandparents that are raising their grand. If that's part of your work week this week, grandparents, raise your hand. If part of your work this week is pouring your life into children that are not your own, but that's just what you are called to do, what you're passionate about, would you raise your hand? All right. Would you just join me in praying right now for these whose hands have been raised? Our loving God, we thank you for the gift of mothers. We thank you for the way in which they model your unconditional love. Thank you for the way that they hover over us, how they wrap their wings around us, how they care for us and preserve us and, and seek to lead us into a relationship with you. I pray for the moms in this room. The longing for their children is that they would flourish, that they would be safe, that they would grow to know you. There's nothing that matters more to them than the welfare of their children. I pray for them. God, help sustain them, give them strength. When they are weary, lift them up. When they are brokenhearted, soothe their wounds. When their children disappoint, God, when their children disappoint, would you help them to forgive and to believe again? God, may the moms in this church raise up a generation of children who love you and honor you. I pray for the grandmas in this room who are pouring out their lives unfettered by the responsibilities of motherhood. They, they get to despoil recklessly, Lord, and I pray that you would allow these grandmas to pour out their love in their grandchildren and pass on their faith to them in a, in a deep and powerful way. Thank you, God, for the, the relationship I had with my grandmothers. And I pray for every woman here who has a chance to give herself to her grandchildren. Bless her in that this day and this week. And God, I pray for those women who work to give themselves to the, other, to the children of others. Maybe they couldn't have children of their own. Maybe they chose not to have children of their own, and yet they pour themselves into the lives of other children. God, bless them, and may they find fulfillment in, in what they do in every, every uh, corner of, of, of life. Thank you for their ministry, for their work, for their labors, and may it bring honor to you. And God, I pray for those whose work includes the mourning of their children. I pray for those who've lost kids or, as I heard today, from one mother of, whose child has run away. And whether they've run away literally or at least run away spiritually, there's nothing that, nothing that is more painful. Lord God, would you bless those mothers, bless them to love you, trust you, 
Bless them to pray for those children that they have lost or feel like they are losing. And God, would you be merciful so that like the prodigal father, they will stand there who poured out his love prodigally. They will stand and they will see on their porch someday their child returning to them and to you. Lord, we can do none of these things. These labors, these holy labors, we cannot do them without your strength. So I pray the power of the Holy Spirit, the blessing of the Holy Spirit on every mom, every grandma, every woman who, who speaks into the life of a child. Work through them, use them, love them, and strengthen them. And may the kingdom of God be forwarded, advanced because of them. For we pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.